pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Hello and welcome to another episode. If you have been waiting a long time for this, I am so sorry. But I am sure you have had other things to do. And as you say, if you wait for something good, you can't wait too long. Or was that just a Swedish saying I translated? No idea. By the way, if you want to listen to me in Swedish, I could highly recommend a recently aired episode from the pod Tyngre Rehab. In episode 170, I talk about, believe it or not, pain. It seems to be a very, very long episode, more than one and a half hour. But trust me, time really flies. I listened to it the other day, trying to be just another listener than me. And I really thought it was easy listening and interesting. And I am not biased in any way. But really, please go ahead and tune in Tyngre Rehab episode 170. And tell them what you think of the episode. I'm sure they would like all comments you have. So, what has been happening since last episode? Well, the war is still ongoing in Ukraine. And after my episode with Volodymyr, which you really should listen to, I was asked to do another episode with people more at the front, working with different types of problems. I had to say no to this because I have already recorded the rest of this season and even though the subject is very, very important, I do not wish this pod to be too directed to one subject. Heck, I don't even want every episode to be about pain, so everyone can listen to it, not knowing what the next episode will be about. But if you have any suggestions for topics or persons out there for 2023, please drop me a line at info at karstenalbeck.com. Could be about anything, as long as it is interesting. Could be about uh, cars and trains, buildings, medicine, pets, trees, stars, cryptos, sports, retirement, you name it. So, what is today's topic? Well... To be honest, I had something else in mind, but I have been so touched by some patient stories on how they succeeded in their pain, so I really need to share this. I have their permission, and I always change facts so they cannot be identified. A man can become a woman, age can change, and so can their pain problem, since the place of the pain is of less interest. The medication can change. Maybe I don't change anything just to double back on the illusion strategy. You'll never know. Why should this be of interest for you? If you're in pain or have other obstacles in life, it might come in handy. Or maybe you know someone who should listen to this. 
even if you don't have pain or is not particularly interested in it, well, congrats on still listening to this pod, I must say, I think you will find it interesting. But as usual, I will start with something completely different. Or not really. It is related to the rest, but I try to make this as spontaneous as possible while I'm talking. So let's start. When I listen to lectures, or actually to people who are into leadership and empowerment or whatever, they can have something wise to say. You just need to open up any social media and you will find intelligent quotes from intelligent people. And these lines seem to be so good. Sometimes the one saying it is living by it. Sometimes I think they are just professional lecturers who have not practiced what they are saying. I remember me even working together with a coach for managers and he talked like he had the most experience in the world. The more we worked, the more I started to wonder how he could solve all the different problems he had as examples. So finally, I had to Google him up. During his 20 plus years of experience as a coach, writer, etc., he had been a manager himself for around six months. And I start to wonder why that was such a short time. Did he get kicked out? Sorry, that is the dark side of my brain thinking. You could say, that that short time triggered him to work with these questions and that he got all his experience by talking to other managers. Who knows? But my take on this is that of course there are people talking instead of doing and you shouldn't buy it all. But what I do myself are actually two things. First, when I read about the conference and what people are saying that they are planning or doing, I try to remember and actually note in my calendar to check it out later on. Just of my own curiosity and trying to be on top of things and learn what people do around me. The other thing I do is to actually change my own behavior, try something out when I hear someone else I believe in. And some years ago, I listened to a doctor who developed the so-called Alaska Nuka healthcare system. It is a state-funded system to the minority Alaskan native population, which earlier was kind of hard to reach. The multi-speciality community provider offers expanded integrated primary and community services based on the premise that health is a product of quality relationships. Nuka recognizes health as a human system and not simply a technical service. And adhering to this philosophy, it's all about relationships to achieve physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness, to achieve long-term relationships between patient and provider. Wow, nice words. But what was this in practical means? Well, the doctor holding the lecture said how they worked. And one thing he said was, we make our doctors available. That meant that the patients got the doctor's private phone number. No way, Jose, you say. Especially if you're a doctor. You don't want your patients to be able to call you whenever and talk about whatever. That was the stupidest idea I have ever heard. But then, if you listen to someone who succeeded and don't think Alaskans, or whatever they are called in Alaska, that they are another human breed than the rest of us, 
then maybe this could work here as well. And talking to Tobias Virian in one of my episodes where he told us he gave the patients his phone number when he was head of department. Why not actually try this? So I really hate listening to lectures and attending seminars or watching TED talks or whatever and not doing anything with the information that your life is exactly the same the week after. So I gave some patients my contact info just in case. Not everyone, but people I felt I could trust in the beginning. Because I did not know what would happen, and I am so overloaded with work, I really need this to make things easier and not worse. And guess what? Almost total success. No one calls, but they send texts. Sometime something I might have forgotten, or they are five minutes late to the appointment, or something really urgent. If I don't have the time, I don't answer. If I find the contact inappropriate, I exclude them from the list. It has saved me a lot of time and effort doing this, and it has helped patients, I'm sure. So, all doctors, be not afraid to keep in touch with your patients. If you can find a good way, you will end up saving time. And for you out there needing to be patients, if you ever get a trust like this from a doctor, never cross the line. It probably is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But why I was saying this is that I get to know a lot of my patients and they trust me. Therefore, they are not afraid to tell it like it is. At least, that is what I think. Which makes good patient stories I can share. So, let me give you three out of a lot of patient stories. The first patient is a woman who has a very difficult pain which has been treated with codeine. Not really any great success, and she had this treatment before she arrived to my clinic. She measured her well-being, or actually the opposite of well-being, which I don't know what it's called. Anyway, she measured this in the number of tablets she took. The more she took, the worse her basic condition was. The effect of these tablets was so-so, but she was certain that it helped better than being without them. The maximum dosage of the tablets was six tablets a day, and she had around 150 each month. Now, here comes the first problem I have. If I get a referral and get a patient who gets his or her opioids prescribed from another doctor, should I continue prescribing this? Actually, no. First of all, I have no obligations to do this. Secondly, it is very common that the referring doctor says that now the pain doctor will take care of this. And the worst case scenario, which has happened more than once, is that they get a prescription which lasts until the day they come to my office. But, on the other hand, if I have the patient under my wings for a certain amount of time, wouldn't it be better to be the one to prescribe these medicines so only one doctor is in charge? This is often what I hear from the primary care doctor who started the prescription or writing the sick leave forms. Well, now you know the patient better than I do and have a plan, so you should take care of the medicine and the sick leave too in the future. And do you think that when we are finished with what we can do, that the original doctor then takes these tasks back? Oh no, 
you have been prescribing these opioids for three months. So if you think the patient should have them, you need to continue prescribing it. And you wrote the last sick leave form, so you should continue since you have the last information about the patient. So it would be easiest to say no from the beginning and not having to spend all these hours on administrative work and other stuff that really just drains energy. But there is a patient there too. So I often end up taking over these things for the time being and then try to make it work when the patient returns to the primary care doctor or the one who wrote the referral. But these are things on the negative side of my work always making me consider on a regular basis what I want to continue doing in the future. But I guess that's a subject for another pod episode. So I prescribed the codeine for this patient, actually thinking about what the pain physician Dominic Aldington once said. If you want the patient to taper down on their medication, you really can't force them. You need to convince them. By the way, if you want to listen to what he has to say, there is, of course, an episode with him. Just because we have a patient who takes opiates that were originally prescribed does not make them drug addicts. And to treat them as such is disgusting, I believe. So I prescribed and made sure the patient never took more than she was prescribed. But I never did it so tight, so if she couldn't go to the pharmacy on a particular day, she would be out of medication. I told her that this is a mutual respect and trust, so I will provide the medication, but the long-term goal is to lower it. We then applied other things as pain treatment, not only medical treatment, but increasing life, so to say. She started to do things in spite of the pain. She said that usually when she got the pain, she went to bed. And one day she thought, well, maybe I should try to walk instead. So she did. And did that help against her pain? No, not at all. She had excruciating pain, but it was the same pain as if she would have been staying in bed. So she thought it must be better to be walking in pain than laying in bed with the same pain. Soon enough, this turned into a walk signal. When she got pain, she started walking and it did not get worse. She actually said that even if the pain would get worse, it must be better to be walking than to just lie in bed waiting for those blood cloths to form in her legs and eventually her lungs. One day she said, you don't want me to take this codeine, do you? I answered, well, no, at least not in the long run. But I am already in the long run, she said. I have been taking these for years and years. I said that she was certainly right but she really needs to want to lower the dose herself and also have some kind of plan when she gets setbacks, which we always do. By the way, if you want to hear about setbacks and other strategies regarding pain, you are more than welcome to listen to Pete Moore, who runs the site paintoolkit.org. And by chance, he has also been one of my guests. But we need some tools and skills to get our confidence back so that we get ourselves back in the driver's seat. So she started to lower her intake. And just like with her walking, she found out that it was totally acceptable to have the pain when the gain was to lower her medication. She kept track on the numbers 
And one day, she said with a bright smile that she had taken 10 tablets the last two months. Think about that. 10 tablets instead of 150. That is 120 tablets a year instead of almost 2,000 tablets. But the choice was not between 2,000 and zero. She still wanted the safety to have the tablets just in case. And I am sure she will be without them in the future. Maybe she already is. And I will be able to return her to the primary care without any opioids, no sick leave at all. But it wasn't me. It was the patient who made this happen. So, even after many years of painkiller medication, there is a way out. Sometimes you need help from professional clinics helping with addiction. But sometimes you can actually do it yourself. Be strong. Patient number two is a woman with migraine. As long as she can remember starting in her youth. When there was a study showing that botulinum toxin could be effective against migraine, she came to me to get this treatment. It was in a way revolutionary because she got much better in the sense that the attacks were not as intense as before. She did not vomit every time. Still, the attacks were as frequent and she was very, very much affected by this. Had to be away from work and so on. A lot of things could not be done due to this migraine and the family life had to be planned around eventual attacks. After some years, there was a new medication on the market. It is a self-injection you give yourself, of course, every month. It's quite costly for society, at least in Sweden, where the patient pays up to a fixed amount and the rest is subsidized for drugs that are recommended. There are quite strict indications on when to use this medication, but since my patient had migraine several days a week with botulinum toxin, she was included to use this new medication. So we switched to the injections, but the results was in a way disappointing. It had around the same effect as the treatment with botulinum toxin, but it was not better. Well, maybe it was better that you could administer it yourself and not needing to go to the doctor, but that would not really defend the higher cost. Since everything else was tried, I suggested we should combine the botulinum toxin and the injection together. Not really recommended since one treatment should be enough, but in some rare cases it might be better, I heard when consulting more knowledgeable neurology colleagues. If you haven't understood my awe towards neurologists, you should listen to my pod with neurologist and pain doctor Volodymyr Romanenko, which I talked to a few episodes ago. I have the deepest respect for all different disciplines in medicine, you know, GPs, radiologists, rheumatologists, anesthetists, but there is someone uh, I really admire that's the neurologist. <laughs> so we tried the combination and the result really was excellent. If we would not have seen a big difference, we would have chosen one of the two treatments after maybe three months. But for each visit, there were less attacks. 100 days without migraine. And she said she could not remember when this had happened before, ever in her life. So maybe this success story should end here. 
I tried different medications, just like a doctor should, and found the perfect combination. Case closed. No, because this is not even the beginning of the story of how you get better. Less pain, no gain. You need to do something with this victory. And she really did. She started exercising, just a little bit, but still showing her brain that this is the way we need to do this. Yoga, walks outside, and participating in social activities. She told me she always ended up ending all plans before with the words, unless I get migraine, which kind of set the atmosphere for that upcoming event very clearly. Now she says that was quite silly of her to say, of course, if I get migraine, I might not be able to do this and that. But to start off with that assumption is maybe not the best way to steer your brain and your surroundings in the right direction. That would be like me saying, oh yes, we can go to the movies on Sunday unless I would get a gastroenteritis then and puke all the way to the cinema. What? Of course you won't do things if you are sick. But don't assume it. And now you could really fill in the blanks. Whatever was missing from her old life is now slowly regaining space in her new life without migraine. And there will be setbacks, of course. So whenever you get better, make sure to use this to something positive. Start being more active, both physically and mentally. You might not need to start exercising at the gym, although that could be really good. But just take a walk. Use the stairs instead of the elevator. Maybe park your car a bit longer away from your destination and walk an extra few minutes. Only your imagination is the limit. So then, who is the last patient I wanted to talk about and why? Well, this time it's more about how he chose to organize his life due to the pain and how this came to be. But let's start from the beginning. This guy had a terrible migraine. Headache almost every day and migraine at least 20 days per month. He could see a relationship between work and his headache. But sometimes it was due to work. Sometimes it got worse when coming home to rest after a hard day or a hard week. He was in charge of the company's branding department, so he worked a lot with marketing, meetings with partners, working hands-on with graphical designs at his computer, among other things. His boss knew that he had this migraine and was very understanding and considerate. Projects had time allocations which gave space for absence due to migraine attacks. The guy could work from home as much as possible, so, in a way, this guy had a work he really loved and I am sure the results were very good for the company as well. All these adjustments were made because the employer wanted it to work. There were no forced adjustments due to hard negotiations with the union or anything like that. But although this was all well, my patient did not enjoy this way of living or working. He had this bad conscience every time he had to be at home. And he did not enjoy his life as much as he wanted either. The pain took over his life, so to speak. He started to feel depressed and got anxiety, sleep got just worse and became a bigger problem than the migraine itself. I suggested he see a psychologist to see what could be done about all these things. 
and to sort them out and know what to do, one step at a time. And he was fortunate enough to find someone that he trusted and could afford for that matter. I have no idea what they talked about in detail, but he said that he almost got angry because she pressed all the issues that were of importance. He got angry because of everything they talked about, but when he met me half a year later, he said it was the best thing he had done in his whole life. So what happened? Well, he finally threw himself out in the void. He quit his job to start his own company. In the aftermath of the pandemic, where you know how the work situation is, the economy and everything else, but he did. And almost at once, he could feel a weight falling from his shoulders. If he needed to be at home, it was all up to him to have the solution, but he did not need to feel bad for his employer. He could choose the customers who suited the way he worked. And what do you think happened when he had to turn down customers? He became even more popular because now people understood it was a treat to have him working for them. Of course, there were other things new which could be of great stress. All the paperwork, making sure you set aside money for your pension. If you're sick, you do not get the same reimbursement that you get as an employee, although you pay the same taxes, etc. But overall, the net effect was tremendous. He could take time to take control of himself and his life. He started to have time to exercise, to be with his partner at the best and most important times, and so on. So it's not only about medication or being able to lower it, which of course can be very, very important. But life itself. What can you do with your life to make it better? Even things that seem to be so far away and even threatening if you change them. There are bunches of sayings about you having to try something new to change. But really, take a good and long thought about your life and see if anything needs to change. And maybe make it happen. I am so happy you listened all the way to the end of this episode. Until next episode, take care.